0: Thanks for downloading the McKay interview. My guest today is Olivier Jankovec. He's the Director General of Airports Council International Europe, or ACI Europe, which represents the collective interests of airports around the world in order to promote excellence in the aviation industry. We talk about the present bleak state of airports, their recovery from the pandemic, and what needs to be done by airports and governments. We also address the matter of decarbonisation, the challenge of climate change, and their impact on the aviation industry, especially airports. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone. You do not need to be an expert on travel and aviation to appreciate the severe knock, the very hard hit that that industry has taken since March of 2020. Airports have been particularly affected, and the reasons are obvious. That is our topic today, and I'm very fortunate to have as my guest, and I'm recording this at the end of October, the man at the helm of the organisation which speaks for airports in Europe. Olivier Jankovec is the Director General of Airports Council International in Europe, or ACI Europe, and he's in Geneva for ACI Europe's annual congress, a big congress or conference of experts and practitioners in the airport and wider aviation industry. I had the privilege of being Master of Ceremonies. Welcome to the McKay interview, Olivier. Thanks for making time for me and our listeners.
1: My pleasure, Michael. Very glad to be here.
0: Olivier, you have in front of you, (laughs) and listening to you, an audience, including me, essentially of non-experts on airports and aviation, except for the one important fact that many of us use them some very regularly for business and others who may travel mainly for leisure and pleasure from time to time. So to start with, please give me an overview of how you see the current situation for airports in Europe and how far ahead you and your colleagues dare to look into the future and forecast what will happen in the coming, say, three to five years. And and as a supplementary for the benefit of many of our listeners, tell me what ACI is and what it actually does. Over sure. Today,
1: maybe. Starting maybe with what ACI yeah. is. We are the voice of Europe's airports. We, have, we are representing more than 530 airports across uh, close to 50 countries across Europe. And uh, our role is essentially to represent and defend the collective interest of the airport industry with comments, European uh, institutions, and also talk to other industry stakeholders. And in doing that, we also play an essential role in bringing the airport community of Europe together uh, to allow them to network, to learn from their peers, and also to set standards and progress best practices.
0: And just as a supplement, is there quite a difference between the various airports in Europe? I hadn't realized there were so many.
1: There there is huge differences between for example, airports, for because, example. you know, I mean, first in, 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 in the ownership model of airports, you have models that are completely publicly owned, other that are fully privatized, and a lot of airports that are in between those two with a mix of private and public ownership. Then you have differences in size, of course, you know, uh, the, there's not much similarities between, let's say, East Row Airport, the what used to be before the crisis, the busiest uh, European airport, in excess of 70 million passengers 70 per million year. In yes, wow. indeed. And uh and you know very small regional airports that have just, you know, 10,000 or 20,000 or um, passengers per year. Uh, plus there is difference in the way those airports are managed. You have airports that are managed as single entity, individual entities, corporations, but you have airports that are grouped into networks managed by a single company that operates sometimes dozens of airports at the same time. So the, the differences are very, uh, very important indeed.
0: Thanks, Olivia. I, I could imagine that people in your line of work have, generally speaking, an optimistic frame of mind. However, to use the word challenges facing your industry would be an understatement. What are the things that look large, very large, in your sights that need to be fixed for business to return to normal or almost
1: normal? Well, let's start first where, where we stand at the moment. I mean, we've, we've restarted our businesses after the severe lockdowns and the kind of easing of travel restrictions across Europe. Uh, but we have not recovered yet. I mean, at the moment, if you look at Europe's airports, on average, they have recovered only 60% of their pre-pandemic traffic levels so we we are recovering but very slowly and uh, when we look ahead at the next three four years i think this is what it's going to take us before we get back to those traffic volumes of 2019 so we see actually a full recovery in passenger numbers only by 2025. so that comes with significant financial challenges uh, because of course we've we've had very little revenues over the past two years that has led many airports to take on a massive amount of debt, also because governments have not been very willing to help airport financially. And at the moment, debt is really what is paying for the current operations. So the level of revenue we're getting the now. The debt is paying for the yeah, debt is yeah. paying for the operations. The level of revenues we get now are not enough to pay for the operations. So I think our primary challenge is the recovery. We need to recover to recover in operational terms uh, and in financial terms. And for that, uh, well, we need to get out of the pandemic uh, or rather we need to keep learning how to live with the pandemic because I think it's gonna take some time before this pandemic leaves us completely. And that means that governments need to further ease travel restrictions and accept that vaccinated people can travel and should travel because they are safe and therefore, that they should not be submitted to quarantine, testing, or other conditions that limit uh, the return of passengers to the sky.
0: Two quite different questions that are arising from what you just said to me. If sixty percent is where we are now, what sort of percentage does an airport need to be viable financially, economically? Just for
1: those of us who don't know the kind of numbers or margins they work to. It's it's a good question, but it's not an easy question to answer because that depends very much at. Um, uh, where an airport is standing, in particular in terms of its investment cycle, because airports are very capital-intensive businesses, capital costs or the cost of investment usually amount to about 30% of overall cost of an airport. 30%. Yes, wow. but um, the thing is that, of course, you are not investing all the time. It goes in cycles. You know, you are investing over a number of years to create new capacity, to allow for digitalization, to become more sustainable and then you stop investing because you've created the capacity the traffic comes in you get the revenue that then allows to pay back the investment and then when you reach capacity level you start investing again so it depends very much at at which level you stand in your investment cycle in terms of 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 of, you know what kind of revenues you need to break even and to remunerate your shareholders
0: and the the second question is is just give give me some insights into why governments have been so reluctant to uh, I- help out airports as opposed to airlines? Because, I mean, many of us will wonder, uh, will be, first of all, surprised by what
1: you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just see it basically as one
0: mm-hmm. big piece of mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. and But you've you put your finger on a point there.
1: Yes, I mean, to maybe to give you some figures first, um, we, we looked at uh, uh, governments in the European Union, and in total they've extended about 32 billion euros in financial support to airlines, not to all airlines, but to selected major airlines. Comparatively, they've extended only 3 billion euro to Europe's airports. And I think the, 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 the situation is, is more striking if you compare Europe's airports to airports in the US. In the US, the US government has extended 38 billion Dollars of support to its airport, and that's again compared to just three billion euros. And to these Europe's American airports, airports. Will be privately owned. They're not owned by the no, states. No, no. Actually, they're all they're all publicly owned. Publicly owned. Um, yeah. So why why have government chosen to 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 help out airlines? Uh, I think it's because they think that by helping airlines, that aid will trickle down on the rest of the ecosystem, including the airports. Mm. But of course, that's not what we're say, seeing because you know it's not because you're helping airlines that airlines will be willing to pay the airport for using the infrastructure. But that's that's another very big debate. I can imagine. I'm
0: just going to now go to a, another practical question. Um, how, in your opinion, will airports get back to normal? In other words, what actually needs to be done?
1: Well, I think that the first thing is, I'm, I'm going back here to the issue of travel restrictions and sanitary conditions for travelling so we need a further easing of travel restrictions and we need more than anything else alignment in those travel restrictions because at the moment we are faced with a complete patchwork of different conditions depending on the countries you want to travel to and alignment means harmonization exactly exactly and 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 again there the 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 principle should be that if you're vaccinated then you don't need to go into quarantine and you shouldn't have to take extra tests So if we would get that approved globally and applied uniformly by all governments, that would go a long way in giving people the confidence to return to the skies and travel again.
0: So you partly answered my next question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. To what extent is the fixing of what is broken under your control? Well, that's the problem. It's not. (laughs) Otherwise, (laughs) I
1: think we would have fixed it already, (laughs) hopefully. But it's essentially government. Well, but that's that's precisely... Just understand what we're talking about. Yes, it's it's in the hands of governments, and uh, and of course we're talking to governments. That's that's our main role, uh, but it's complicated because you know these are exceptional circumstances. You're you're dealing with um, health safety, you know that touch back to the personal safety of people, and governments, rightly so, feel you know very much responsible for the safety of their citizens. Uh, but I think there are, I mean, we've seen a lot of discrepancies and really um, uh, uh, lack of logic in the way they've reacted. And uh, actually you have a lot of discrepancy between the rules that apply at uh, the local level for local life and the rules that apply for travel. Whereas all the data will tell you that travel is, is not a, a, a major... Uh, risk in terms of the epidemiological situation. The European uh, Center for Disease Control, the ECDC, actually just two weeks ago, issued a report where they made very clear that in the current epidemiological situation we are now, uh, uh, travel restrictions are not effective in reducing transmissions, hospitalizations, and deaths linked to COVID-19.
0: I think I'm, I, I'm sure people will be surprised to hear that, but, yeah, that's, but the, that's
1: what the evidence says. This is all based on scientific evidence and risk-based analysis.
0: I see. But my guest today is Olivier Jankovic. He's the Director General of Airports Council International in Europe, and we're talking about the airport and wider aviation industry. Olivier, a word I heard a lot over the last day and a half is decarbonization. It's a word frequently used during the discussion on stage and you know, over coffee. Uh, why is it particularly significant for the airports and aviation sector? In other words, what does that really mean? It's a big word.
1: Well, it's a big word. It's about the challenge of climate change and, and the need for um, basically all businesses to embrace decarbonization and move ahead in that direction to basically save humanity and the planet. So I think we know today that uh, decarbonization is a, it's a scientific imperative, this means that it has become uh, a societal and political imperative, and at the same time, as a result, it is an absolute business imperative. So for, for airports and aviation, the difficulty is that uh, we don't have easy, readily solutions to decarbonize aviation. Um, we need to, to work on the deployment of sustainable aviation fuels. We need to work on the development of new technology that not are not ready yet. So it... We need some time to be able to decarbonize, but we are fully committed to that that goal. I mean, all of Europe's airports uh, since July 2019 have committed uh, to net zero carbon emissions from their operations by 2050, and um, a few weeks ago you have the global aviation industry that together committed to the same goal. Uh, so clearly what we need is, is, is to work on this and, and you know, behind that this is about our license to keep existing and operating at, as businesses. I think if we, if we don't embrace and move in that direction, uh, you know, people will stop flying uh, because we won't just be doing what we need to do for the planet. Uh, and you have tremendous policy and regulatory pressure that is piling up, rightly so. So, yes, we, well, this is our major challenge. It's about, down the line, I think it's really about the societal acceptability of travel and aviation.
0: But sorry if this sounds like a naive question, but I'm neither a scientist nor an engineer. But So the solution to the problem is essentially scientific and mechanical. In other words, you've got to deal with planes and engines, and you've got to deal with the fuel that planes and engines use, or is that just too simplistic?
1: No, I think you're you're pretty spot on. Um, If you look at at those carbon emissions that come from the airport itself, in in the sense of those carbon emissions that are directly controlled by the airport operator, which relates to its buildings, the vehicles it uses on the ground, Uh, uh, Actually, that's a very small part of overall aviation emissions. It's about 5% or less. The bulk of the carbon emissions coming from aviation are coming from the aircraft and from the fuel they burn. So the solution indeed is is technology, is uh, first trying to find alternative uh, uh, fuels to the kerosene. um, And we do have now sustainable aviation fuels that you know, uh, are becoming available. Can I stop you
0: there? Then? Just give us a glimpse, again, for those of us who don't know, w- w- what's actually happening in research in that area? I mean, how far along um, is scientific, are the scientific minds in finding that kind of, of
1: solution? Those, those solutions in terms of sustainable aviation fuels are, are, are exist already today. The, the problem we have is to scale up the production and the delivery to all of, of Europe's airports, but that's something we can solve pretty, I think, pretty, pretty quickly. Um, beyond sustainable aviation fuel, we need to look into electric propulsion aircraft or hydrogen propulsion aircraft. And there, of course, the challenge technically is is bigger uh, because there are there are some initial moves that are being made in that direction, in particular when it comes to electric aircraft, but for electric aircraft we're likely to see solutions available in the next 10 years, but mostly for small aircraft. If you're looking at bigger aircraft, it, it will probably have to come from hydrogen, and there, um, Airbus is fully committed to that. It's one today, today now, it is their absolute priority, um, uh, but it, they need we need a little bit more time. I think there are They are forecasting uh, entry into service of uh, hydrogen uh, aircraft probably around 2035.
0: I see. So still some distance
1: off.
0: Yes, yes. there's much talk, and you've heard it just as I and our listeners have heard it, that the pandemic has changed many things fundamentally, that things will never be the same again. How do you see that? And what has changed irrevocably in your industry? Explain why it will be prohibitive. To change back to how it was, and how you and your colleagues around Europe will adjust to this new reality?
1: Well, you're raising a, a, a point which has many dimensions and many issues. Um, first of all, I think from the passenger's perspectives, because the people who are listening to us are indeed you know, our clients, our passengers, I think clearly um, um, health safety is now a major concern, not just in relation to aviation, but basically any societal activity. And as a result, I think um, 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 proving uh, the health status, health credentials will become part of the travelling experience for quite some time, in the sense that in addition to you know proving your identity when you go through passport control, you will also need to show what is your health status. And there, I think the major challenge for us is how to make these checks at the airport of the health status of the passenger fully efficient, fully integrated in the passenger experience so that they do not become disruptive as they are still today and result in waiting times queues and you know people not being so happy at the airport Maybe missing their connection exactly so 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 there we we have in Europe uh, what uh, is referred to as the EU uh, COVID digital certificate which is a a very good way forward and it is indeed a a digital tool that allows for those checks to be more easier and less intrusive in terms of our processes and the passenger experience. But that doesn't exist globally. And actually, a lot of the checks are still manual. They're still paper-based. And we need to get rid of that. We need to move globally to a system of digital verification of the health status of passengers. And
0: give us an idea. I mean, you're, you're dealing with these sorts of things you know, on a professional basis, but your title says Europe at the end of it. Mm-hmm. I, mean, what, what, I mean, seriously, how big is that an issue for the other parts of the world, which obviously you have an interest in because your planes are flying from airports to all over, all over the world?
1: Well, aviation is a, a network industry. Exactly. It works globally, so yeah. we need global solutions. We need governments to work more together and in the same direction. And that's something, of course, we're dealing with and working with with the airlines, with the IATA, which is based in, in, in Geneva, other airlines associations and in, in Europe and, and, and beyond. And it is also something we're working with with our sister organization, because you have ACI, Airports Council International, not just in Europe, but in every single regions of the world. So there's a lot of work going on at the moment. Uh, of course, we, we try to speak with one voice. We have similar interests, and we are trying to push governments to move forward on, on this. I see. Okay. Well,
0: the last question have you. I got a great sense of optimism in the Congress room over the last day and a half. I felt that. I'm not saying that just because you're sitting in front of me. But give me a glimpse of your optimism as you look into the longer term, for you to say five to ten years, what do you see? Or don't you even dare to look that far?
1: Of course we dare to look that far. <laughs> Tell think. me what you see. Um, well, I, I, I think you know, it comes down to the fact that air connectivity is an essential fabric of modern society. It is a, an essential vector of economic growth, if you think about it, for every 10% increase in connectivity you get automatically a 0.5 percent increase in GDP per capita. And that's so a statistical fact, isn't it? Yes, that's this right. is there is a yeah. direct and automatic correlation between the level of air connectivity of a country, of a region, of a city, and its economic well-being. But behind that, I mean, air connectivity is is essentially about bringing people together. It's so bringing people together is what holds society together. It is what makes the world better because you're confronted with other cultures. You know, that's why people like to travel, I think. And that's, uh, that's why, peop- as we're hopefully exiting from this pandemic, people are very eager to travel again. We know that 68% of, European, of Europeans plan to take a trip by January. So there's this huge appetite for travel, and for a good reason, because travel makes the, the world better. Uh, so I think as, as we move out, I think, you know, it's going to take time, but we're going to recover. People will want to keep travelling. Uh, and. I think we are also, as we are, as I mentioned earlier, very committed and working actively on decarbonisation. We are going to make uh, air travel, uh, you know, uh, less impactful in terms of the environmental impact. And I think it's about sustainability overall. You know, Sus- in sustainability, it's about uh, the environmental impact which we need to improve, and we're working on that through decarbonisation, clearly. Uh, It's about the social impact, and I've described that, you know, bringing people together, um, creating wealth, and the economic impact and support to society. So uh, I think, you know, travel must, air travel must remain the essential, one of the essential fabric of our modern societies. We have many challenges ahead, but I think it is our responsibility as the economic actors to address those challenges and make sure that uh, air travel remains uh, an essential fabric of society.
0: people listening will agree with you and I agree with you as well. Thank you, Olivier, for your clarity. So I know it's always a bit difficult for people with such knowledge and detail to talk to people with a very simple view of the world (laughs) like me, but thank you again. My guest today has been Olivier Jankovec, and he's the Director General of Airports Council International Europe. Thank you again, Olivier.
1: My pleasure. Thank you very much, Michael.
0: Thank you for listening. Please share the show with those around you. And if you have any questions or feedback, Write to me at contact at mckays.ch. I promise that I will reply to you.